Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. We're in a series of messages called Focus 2020, and I wanted to take just a few minutes and just sort of um, rehash a couple of things because, you know, uh, there's a Latin proverb that says that repetition is the mother of teaching, and so it's always good to hear things. You know, the Bible says line upon line, precept upon precept, and so it's good to just be reminded of a few things that the reason why we're doing the 2020 sermon series is to help us to look at our our purpose statement, our vision statement, mission statement, however you want to call it, to love God, love people, share Christ, and make disciples. And, you know, some, some have asked me, you know, Pastor, why particularly are we using that particular statement? Well, you can't get any better than Jesus, right? And so Jesus himself gave us two particular things in which every church ought to center their lives around, every Christian ought to be centered around, and that is, first of all, he gave us what we would call the great commandment. That is, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. That is, everything can be summed down into those two things, right? We ought to love God, and we ought to love people. So that's pretty easy, right? And then the second side of that mission statement, in order to share Christ and make disciples, comes from what we would call the Great Commission, when Jesus tells us to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And so that begins with sharing the gospel. It begins with telling people about this wonderful Savior, Jesus, who has died on the cross, rose from the dead, in order that they can be reconciled to God. And so we pull all of that in our mission statement from those two things. Because, again, you can't get any better than Jesus. Amen? I mean, you can get snapdoodled, you can get, you know, smart, and you can have all these clever statements, but the reality is it's better to repeat what Jesus said. And so that's what we've done. We've chosen to do that. That's something that God put in my heart when I first came here many years ago. I can remember when I first wrote the Discovering the Heart of Your Community study that we did. Oh, been almost uh, 10 years ago. I got alone in a hotel room down at the beach and spent three days locked up and uh, began to get on my face before God and begin to pray. And out of that was birthed this mission statement, this idea that we uh, need to do what Jesus has called us to do, to love God and love people and share Christ and make disciples. And ever since God gave us that, we've been preaching that. Now, why is it important that we have that? Well, let me just give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, it helps clarify the mission. Uh, We want to be, you know, understanding and have a direction of where we're going. The other thing it does, it helps us to align our ministries to the mission, right? It helps us to align everything to what Jesus told us to do. So are we through our missions? Are we doing through our children? Are we doing through our students? Are we doing through our worship services? Are we loving God, loving people, sharing Christ and making disciples? The other thing that it does, it helps us shape our strategy. That is when we leave here and we begin to think about going into the world, this ought to be what helps shape what we do right? It ought to help shape what we do as a church. And then it's also important to evaluate. So are, is our church really doing what we say we believe? Are we really loving God, loving people, sharing Christ? Making are we really doing that? So everything that we do comes back to 
the scripture. It comes back to what Jesus said. And so this whole series, my intent of the series has been to, number one, help us to clarify the mission statement. That is, we begin to look at what does it mean to love God, to love people, share Christ, and make a disciple. So that's one of the things we're trying to do. The other is to make an emphasis that this is what we ought to be doing. Amen? I mean, we can be doing a lot of things as a church, but this is what we ought to be doing as a church. Everything that we do ought to center around this. And then the other thing is to, again, bring, being uh, intentional with that. So that is everything that we begin to talk about, everything we begin to do, that we do that with intentionality. We can say all day long that we got a vision, a purpose, a plan, but if you never put any feet to it, you never have any goals to help you reach that, all you're doing is blowing hot air. And uh, we don't need hot air, amen? We need to put our feet on the ground, the boots on the ground, as it would be, be said, and we need to begin to do what God has called us to do. And so last month, we began by talking about who is this great God. I'll tell you, when you get a vision of who God is, that will change your heart right there. That'll move you. And Christian, I pray that, you know, if you didn't get all those sermons, that you'll go back and you'll listen online to those sermons and that God will begin to speak to you. And I pray that even if you did hear them, maybe you need to hear them again until we get that that awe of God, that we really understand that everything that happens on this planet is all under the control of God and all for his glory. Amen? Everything for the control of God. He, he controls it all. And it's all about his glory. It's not about Mike Foreman. It's not about First Baptist Church of Level Plains. It's not about Daniel McCullough and missions or our children's ministry or women's ministry. Listen, it's all about the Lord God and his glory. And that's why we do what we do. Amen? And that's what we should be doing. And so everything that we want to do, we want to center around this great God who is awesome and glorious. And Father, we want you to be magnified in here. Amen? That's what we want. That ought to be our heartbeat this morning. But out of that becomes this, these ministries. The, out, out of that vision, out of that personhood of God comes this mandate by which he has given us. And last week as we began to talk about Missio Dei, we talked about God sending us. We talked about Jesus got a mandate from God. He left heaven and came to earth. And he lived out the mandate that God had given him to seek and to save that which is lost. And we talked about that the mandate that Jesus had is the mandate that he passed on to us. Remember, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we talked last week together how you and I are commissioned, mandated to go into the world with the gospel and preach the gospel to all nations. And so we looked at that last week together. This week, I want to sort of look at it from a different angle, and I'm looking at it from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. So turn to Matthew, chapter 9, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and as we think about missions and think about being missional, please understand that we're using the term, what we're talking about, it is the gospel and it's making disciples of Christ with those who are near and those who are far. And it be missional just simply means that we're being obedient to that, right? Are we doing what God has called us to do? And so as we move by talking about the the mission of God, and we talk about the mission and the mandate that God has given us, you can't help but look at Matthew chapter 9 and understand, as Daniel has so well shared with us earlier, putting all that emotion behind, because when you begin to think that there are 155,000 people a day who are dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ, that ought to burden our heart. 
That ought to do something inside of us. That ought to make us be missionaries. Amen? It ought to make all of us in this room quit our jobs, sell everything we have, and go into the world and preach the gospel. Because what's more important? It is far more important that people hear the gospel and are saved than for us to live in luxury. Amen? It's far more important. We haven't caught that yet. I haven't really caught all that yet. But listen, that is a reality and that is the truth. And so as we think about the text this morning, that is exactly where Jesus is going. Jesus is saying that we need to get out into the mission field and we need to be about the gospel. So how does he say that? Well, let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. Listen to the Lord. Then Jesus went about into all the cities and villages. In the region of Galilee, he went about in all the cities and the villages, and he was doing three things. He was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in to the harvest. I want you to think about what Jesus is saying, because there's four truths that we sort of want to hang the sermon on today. And here's truth number one, that the message that we have ought to be the message of the gospel. Amen. Look what Jesus did. Jesus went about into the cities, and he was doing what? He was teaching in the synagogues, and he was healing every sickness and every disease. But right smack in the middle of that, I want you to notice what the primary message is. What was the teaching about? What was the healing about? They are bookends to what most important, and that is the gospel. Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What's the gospel of the kingdom? It's the good news. The good news of what? That the Savior has come into the world. Amen? That the one who's going to die for sins is here. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who has come, and all the sin that that we have is going to be laid upon his shoulders. And so Jesus in his itinerant ministry Yes, he loved people and ministered to the the sicknesses and the disease. Yes, he taught in the synagogues as a rabbi and people would come and listen to him. But his primary message was the gospel. Why? Because we said last week, remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 that he came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus wasn't just about being a healer. He wasn't just about meeting the needs of people. He was about being the savior that people needed. And so I want you to think about that this morning. I want you to think about what Jesus is saying. What is this gospel? And I tell you what, folks, if we don't get the gospel right, (laughs) if we don't get the gospel right, then we have got a serious problem. So what is the gospel? You're saying, oh, man, we've heard this before. Well, again, you're going to get repetition because it's needed. Because there are a lot of people who don't know what the gospel is. Amen? So let me tell you what the gospel is. Flip over in your Bible. Hold your place here. Flip over in your Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says these words. He gives us the gospel beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 1. Moreover, brethren, he says to them, I declare to you the gospel. Here it is. The gospel which I preach to you, which also, he said, you received and which you stand. 
What is the gospel, Paul, by which you also are saved? What's the gospel that saves? What's the gospel we ought to be standing in? He goes on and he says, If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is the gospel, Paul? Here it is, verse 3. For I delivered to you first of what is, but what I also received. Some translations say of what's most important. And so he says, what I've also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. I love this, verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. I want you to think about the gospel for a minute because the gospel is so important. So the word gospel itself just means good news. But what is it good news about? Well, it's good news about Jesus came and he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What does that have to do with anything? Well, let me just tell you. There's a God in heaven. He's sovereign. And this God who is sovereign and sits in the heaven created the world. And if you don't believe that, I'm sorry for you. But the Bible says he created the world. He literally did that in six days, by the way. And when he created the world, the last day he created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And he put them in the garden. And he made it pretty simple for them. One rule, don't. Eat, don't touch, don't, or don't eat of this tree, right? He didn't say don't touch. He didn't give them all kinds of rules. He said don't eat of this tree in the midst of the garden, right? What happened? They sinned. As a result, we all sin. Say, that's not fair. <laughs> Take it up with God, amen? But by the way, you can say it's not fair, but if you look at your own life and you examine your own life, you'll find out you, you have a problem with sin too, amen? We all have a problem with sin. So here it is. Glorious, great God creates human beings. And what do we do? We turn on him. We turn on him in sin. And what, as a result of turning to sin and turning away from him, we have separated ourselves from God. Think about that for a minute. You are separated from God because of sin. And you know the reality of that is? That there is no way to get to God because you're separated from sin. And, and the reality of that is that that brings us all to a place of equality. <laughs> that everybody in the world, no matter what part of the globe you rest in, we were all in the same boat. We were all under the same condemnation of God. We all deserve to die and to go to hell. When we look at that 155,000 people daily going to hell, we can't say, well, I'm better than them, so I got saved. No, we cannot say that, Right? That would be foolish for us to do that. And if you think that's the case, then what you need to do is you need to go back and read the New Testament because Jesus deals with that issue when he says that those who died in the Tower of Siloam, were they more wicked? <laughs> Jesus sort of deals with that issue. But as we begin to think about the gospel, we begin to think about this bad news that we are separated from God because of our sin and that there is nothing that we can do. I want you to understand that. Listen to that loud and clear. There is nothing that you can do. You cannot join a church. You cannot give enough money to charity. You cannot do enough good works. There is nothing that you can do that you can be right with God. Nothing that you can do. And so when you and I, the Bible says, Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. Literally what happened is the God who was offended, the God who was sinned against, that God, he sent his son who is God to die on a cross in your place bearing your sin debt. That is the debt that you owe to God. He died for that sin debt. 
All your sin, all my sin was laid upon him at the cross. Paul says it this way. Listen to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. That is, you and I, born in sin, separated from God, no hope whatsoever. God, who was the offended party, made the way through his own son, Jesus Christ, that he would die on the cross. He who knew no sin, that is, a perfect, righteous Savior, would die on the cross and bear your sin in order that your sin, your sin, that is, your sin debt, would separate you from a holy God, could be dealt with at the cross. Oh, we know it was, right? Because when you think about the cross, think about the agony of the cross. Think about not only the suffering of the cross because the wages of sin is death, but think about the death of the cross. Think about the separation that Jesus endured for you and me. That he would cry to his own father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's not cheapen the gospel, y'all. Let's not just say, oh, I had a little bit of a problem and Jesus fixed it. Let's just not say, oh, Jesus is the candy man. He's coming to my life just to make my life better. Let's quit cheapening the gospel and let's call it what it is. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You were bound for hell because there was nothing you can do about it. But God in his divine grace and his mercy through his love reached down to you through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary because there was nothing else that you could do for your sin, nothing you can do to appease God, and yet Jesus would take all that wrath upon himself on the cross of Calvary. That's what the gospel's about. It's not about Jesus coming to my life to make my life better. It's not about making me richer or wiser or smarter. It's nothing to do with that. It's about him dying on a cross for my sin because I'm wicked and I'm vile and I'm separated from God, but praise his holy name. He loved me enough that he would send his son to die for my sin, that even in New Jersey, he would find a 17-year-old boy who was full of himself, arrogant and prideful and sinful, and he would save me. That's what it's about. Jesus would die for our sins, according to the scripture. The Bible says that he was buried, but he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He wouldn't need it for very long. But you don't bury a live man, you bury a dead man, amen? Some say, oh, Jesus wasn't really dead. Let me tell you something. The Romans crucified 15,000 people. Do you not think they know when somebody's dead? They certainly do. And they took Jesus and laid him in a tomb because they knew he was dead. They punctured his side. And that puncturing his side was to reach into the, not just the side, but reach up into the cavity where the heart is and to puncture the heart to make sure that his heart was not still bleeding. And it said that, that what happened is the water and the blood began to flow out. He was dead. And they buried him in a tomb. But listen, the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel's good news because not only did Jesus die for our sins according to the scriptures, not only was he buried, but praise God on the third day he rose from the dead. Let me tell you, we have a risen Savior. Why did Jesus need to rise from the dead? Well, let me tell you something. If he didn't, he would have been a liar, a lunatic, an idiot, a fool. And we could pack up our Bibles and we could go home. Amen? That's what it would have been. But Jesus rose from the dead to prove that he was God. To prove that his sacrifice for your sin and my sin was accepted by God. And Jesus would rise from the dead in order that you and I can be reconciled to the Father. If he's dead, we're foolish for being here this morning. But praise God, he's alive. This is the gospel and nothing else. And if we cheapen it, 
then people will not get saved by a cheap gospel. Because if we just tell people, oh, you come to Jesus, be a bed of roses, be wonderful, be great. Your life will be, you know, now you'll have the, 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 the dreams that you always wanted, the money you've always wanted, the health you've always wanted. And let me tell you something. They're going to die and they're going to go to hell because they're going to believe a lie. We must preach the unadulterated gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing else will save. Amen? If you don't believe that, just read Galatians. Paul says, there is a deutero gospel. But I must remind us this morning of what missionary founder of Gospel for Asia, K.P. Yohannan, listen to what he says. He said, believers who have the gospel keep mumbling it over and over to themselves. Meanwhile, millions who have never heard it, not even once, fall into the flames of eternal hell without ever hearing the salvation story. See, as wonderful as the story is, as beautiful as it is, and as much as we sing to him how great we are that we're saved, how awesome it is to be a a follower of Christ, we can sing that to ourselves over and over and over again. But if we never take that into the field, we never go and tell the neighbor, we never go and tell those we work with, if we never tell those we go to school with, if we never break this uh, state and go into another state or go around the world with the gospel, it does us no good to sing about it. It does us no good just to keep reminding ourselves how wonderful we are, how great it is that we're going to heaven if we're not taking anybody with us. What's so grand about that, y'all? What's so grand about that? Yes, it can be a personal relationship with Jesus. I get that. And I get that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. But listen, isn't the mandate, isn't what he's called us to do is to take people with us? Isn't what he's asked us to do? Isn't what he demonstrated was that we would lower ourselves, that we would forget about ourselves for the good of other people? And yet, we're too busy mumbling the gospel to ourselves. We're too busy singing the gospel to ourselves. Why 150,000 people die and go to hell every day. We have not caught, we have not caught the heart of Jesus yet. And that's the second point. I want you to look at the text. Listen to what Jesus says, or it says about Jesus. Verse 35 again. Jesus went into all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitude, when Jesus saw the people, listen what happened. He was moved with compassion. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing the sick, but then something happens. Jesus gets a a picture of not just the individuals who are coming for healing, Not just the folks who were sitting at his feet, but he looks up and he sees the massive crowd of people. And the Bible says that he had a heart of compassion. I wonder, do we have compassion for those who are lost? The Bible says that Jesus had this heart of compassion. Last week I said that if we go into the world and we do all these good works and we help people with all of their problems and, and we minister to them but never share the gospel. We just become humanitarians. And that the world is full of humanitarian aid. And that's so true. But my, my words was not to keep us from understanding there is plight. There are problems. The New Century Version reminds us in, in this text that 
It substitutes words here, but here's what it says in the New Century Version, that when Jesus saw them, he saw them as hurting and helpless. Jesus understood their plight. Jesus understood their problems. But the greatest problem they had was they were without a Savior. They were without a shepherd to guide them. And so as Jesus looks upon the people, he sees their plight. I saw a video this week that Marina had shown me that was a, a city in Haiti. And it was a city in Haiti that people literally are living on dirt every day. That's what they eat every day. They eat dirt. They take and they make these mud pies and, and they um, put them out in the sun and they dry them. It's like, I, I would liken it, guys that hunt or guys that do skeet, I would liken it almost like shooting skeet. It's like they have these little things that look like skeet shots and, and kids are running around all over the place. They're eating them and people are living on about a dollar a day. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Should we do something? Should we be concerned? Should we have compassion? Certainly so. We would be foolish to say that that, oh, that doesn't bother me. We should be bothered by that. But we should be bothered more by the fact that they're going to die and go to hell without Christ. I can go and I can feed them. And we can give money and all kinds of aid to feed people. But what good is it going to be is at the end of their life they have a fat belly. But they die and go to a Christless eternity. What good is that? Let me tell you what we learned at the IMB. That the IMB we have world hunger. You know why we have world hunger relief? It's because it is an open door to the gospel. We don't do world hunger just because we want to feed people. Although we want to be compassionate and love on people, we have world hunger because that is an opportunity, that is an open door by which we can share the gospel with those people groups. That's why we have it. So it's okay to do humanitarian acts, but we must put it in its proper place. It does not substitute the gospel. It is a door of opportunity for the gospel. It gives us the voice by which we can go in and hear Jesus. Do you think people having their healed, the diseases healed, their family being healed, do you think they would listen to Jesus at that point? Certainly they would. Why do you think the crowds flocked to Jesus? And Jesus had an opportunity to preach the gospel and to share the gospel with them. And so we ought to be concerned. We ought to pay attention to the plight of people because it is great. It is great. And we ought to minister to those needs. But we need to remember that is about the gospel and strictly about the gospel. I agree with Henry Martin, missionary to India and Persia. Listen to what he said. He said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. When I have a heart of compassion like the heart of Jesus, then guess what? I'm going to have a missionary heart. I'm going to be concerned for the peoples of the world. I'm going to be concerned for their souls because that's what Jesus cares about. Amen? That's what Jesus cares about. And then David Livingston, who you probably read about before, a great missionary, he said this, and we must remember this too, sympathy is no substitute for action. We can be concerned, but if we don't do anything about it, what good is it? If I see a house on fire across the street and I can be concerned, but don't go out and pull the people out of the flames, they're going to burn up and die. I need to go out and do something. I need to be concerned enough to take action. And that leads us into our third point. Look at what Jesus says. Go back into verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and listen to what he says. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? I want you to think about the need for laborers. That's you and me. There's a need for us to get engaged and involved in the world when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to the missions. 
Why? Because they need laborers. Jesus looks up and he sees this vast group of people. And I want you to think about if the group of people was vast in the day of Jesus, and they tell us, scholars tell us, that most likely the time that Jesus walked on this planet, that the population was somewhere about 120 to 200,000, uh, uh, 200 million people. Think about that. So that's just a drop in the bucket compared to seven point. I looked up yesterday, the world clock yesterday, 7.75 billion people on the planet. I would say that there is a vast field ready for picking. Amen? That's a lot of folks, y'all. That's a lot of people. So I want you to think about that. Let's put that in perspective. I'm going to put up a chart for you by the North American Mission Board. I don't know if you can see that from where you're sitting. It just says progress towards engaging unreached peoples. On this side, it says there's 7.4 billion people. This is a 2018 statistic. 7.4 billion people. Follow those arrows. There at the top there, no longer unreached, is 4,700 people groups, about 3.1 billion people. Unreached people groups, this is staggering, y'all. Listen to this. 7,000 people groups, that's 4.3 billion people. That's a lot of folks. That's a lot of folks. You follow the lines, engaged, we've already engaged, yet they're unreached. We've engaged about 4.1 billion of those. But at the bottom are the unreached, or unengaged and unreached, is about 220 million people. That is, they've never heard the name Jesus ever. There's not, not one single missionary who has walked into their town or their village and engaged them with the gospel. That's a lot of folks. That's a lot of people. And I know in your mind and in my mind, sometimes you go, well, you know, those are people that are trapped in in Islam. They're trapped in Hinduism. They're trapped in some other kind of world religion or whatever. You know, that's just their plight. Let me just tell you something. My Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, that there's going to be people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation that's going to be standing before the throne of God. And we ought to care about all people. I don't care what race they are. I don't care what religion they worship now. We ought to care about all peoples. Amen? And for 155,000 per day of them, dying and going to hell is not sufficient. It's not good. As a matter of fact, listen to this statistic. The IMB president, Paul Chitwood, was speaking to our conference last month. Listen to what he says. He said, and I quote him. I went back and re-listened to the sermon, and I quote him. He said, we, the IMB, we have enough money right now to put 3,800 missionaries on the field, but we do not have enough missionary candidates in the pipeline to even maintain our current headcount of about 3,600 missionaries. Listen to that, folks. We have enough money in the IMB coffers right now. We have enough money to send 3,800 missionaries on the field. But we don't even have enough people going to be missionaries to even maintain what we have now. That's scary. What does that mean? That means that we at First Baptist Church of Level Plains need to do a better job of raising up missionaries to go to the field. That's what that means. I can say other churches, but it's not about other churches. It's about ours. We need to do a better job raising up awareness and raising up what does it mean to be on mission with God so that perhaps right here in this church today, perhaps in this congregation, perhaps there would be some man or woman, whether they're young or whether they're older, maybe they're retired. Maybe there is a teenager. Maybe there is a child that's sitting and listening to the sermon today that God would place their hand upon that person and call them out and we can have them sent out from our church. You know, I can't help but ask this question. I can't help but ask this question. 
Who here will go? Who here will go? And when I asked that question, I had to point at myself and go, why not you? Why not you? Or why not you? Why not you? Why not? Why not? Why not? Let me finish up. Look at the text of Scripture again. Because as we wind down, there's an important mandate again in the text that Jesus gives us. And it's called the urgency of prayer. The urgency of prayer. Missionary John Frazier, who's a missionary to the Linsu people in China, he said this. He said, I used to think that prayer should have the first place and teaching the second. I now feel, he says, that it would be truer to give prayer the first, second, and third place and teaching the fourth. Because listen to what Jesus said. Jesus says to us, therefore pray, verse 38, the Lord of the harvest. You know what's beautiful about that is Jesus is saying to us that as we have this urgency of prayer, that the person, the one that we're praying to is the very one who owns the harvest. That is, we're praying to God the Father who owns everything. We're praying to him and saying, Father, would you send out laborers into the harvest field? Would you send out missionaries into the fields in order that the gospel will be proclaimed, that your name will be glorified in this globe. That's what we're praying. That's what we're asking. We're not asking for a mission board to send. We're not asking for a church to send. We're asking for God to raise up people and send people. That's what we're praying. That's what we're asking. God, will you do that? Jesus said, we are mandated to pray, God, please send out laborers into your harvest field. God, would you do that? In his article, Four Reasons That, mission, that we, Churches Ought to Pray for Missions, Jerry Connor writes this. Listen to what Jerry Connor says. He says, the mission of advancing the gospel is the great work of the church, and prayer is the engine that moves it. Boy, that's so true, isn't it? Prayer is what moves it. And he gives the four reasons. Listen to these four reasons why we ought to be in prayer. Number one, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray for missions and modeled it as he taught them or trained them. Number two, prayer moves the heart of the church toward the heart of God for missions. And that's so true. If we don't pray for missions, how are we ever going to have a heart for missions? Number three, prayer opens the doors in the world for the gospel to advance. And then number four, he says, prayer empowers the message of those going to share the gospel clearly and without fear. But friends, can I just remind us that far too long, we're willing to obey the mandate to pray, but we're not willing to obey the mandate to go. And so what I'm going to do for our invitation this morning is something a little different. I'm gonna ask you to respond. I'm gonna ask you to actually do something. Up here on the stage are these little sheets that look like this. And as I was preparing for today and really just praying about our church being engaged in the, the work of the gospel, God began to lay this little piece of paper on my heart. And, and here's what it is. Basically, it's just a praying the Lord of the harvest. Will we just pray? Will we just ask God to do some things? And in this is just four, or excuse me, five prayer requests that I want us to pray over, that I want us to just kneel on the altar and begin to pray for. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to invite you to come. Come to the altar. Come kneel on the, the first benches, however it may be. Maybe we need to 
wherever you can find a, a place to make that your prayer closet this morning. I'm going to ask you to come and get one of these sheets. Get alone with God for a few minutes and pray. I'm going to tell you the first prayer request is a bold prayer request. I'm praying and I'm asking God, God, in the next five years, will you raise up five people to be sent out from our church? Five people in five years. God, would you do that? That they would go out of our church, whether with the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, or maybe another mission board, doesn't matter to me. God, will you send out five people? It's a bold prayer request, but I believe it's a prayer request that God can answer. And so I'm going to invite you to come. So I'm going to ask Tim if you guys would come. And can we just not sing? Can we just play the music this morning? And we didn't really talk about that, but I just feel led. We just need to have the music. And I want you to not think about words to a song. I want you to come and begin to pray. So right now, you come. The altar is open. You come. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.